Hey, Mon Calamari Man. Um, I need a table for 12, um, if that's all right. Yeah, that's great. Okay, and oh, before you see this, I did have a actual gift card. Um, I hope it's not too big of a deal. It did expire yesterday. That's a trap! Welcome in to the Bro Four Squad podcast, where we're just a bunch of bros drinking beer and watching TV and movies. This is our review of The Mandalorian, Season 2, Episode 3, entitled The Heiress. I am your host, the Mayor Jeff Hornacek. Joining me is the American hero himself, Nate Thurman, to review this episode as we do all of our TV episodes. On the four Bro Four Squad criteria, which is the acting, the story, our favorite scene, and then any theories or questions that we have going forward. So, Nate, we got off the ice planet. We returned our eggs to the frog couple, who surprisingly appeared like their relationship is holding up quite well. Despite the I think, time. yeah, I think it was it was mending once they saw each other. I mean, it's been a while, so I don't know how Frogman has been taking care of himself, but you know, he probably has his own special way to do that. I was half ready for Frog Lady to catch him with like a younger frog at the port and be like. Who the fuck is she? And he's like, he's, I he's hanging out in the red light district over there. Like honestly, I was looking for you. I got a little turned around here. Is this where, where is this? I, I've never met her before in my life. I didn't park my car here. <laughs> First category is the acting in the cast. We actually got some newcomers here. Uh, finally, in this episode, previously had either been uh, returning characters or frogs and spiders. So, <laughs> yeah. What do you think of that performance is in season two, episode three? Uh, yeah, overall, I was really impressed and happy to see, like you're saying, some newcomers um, and some other people other than amphibians that I could actually latch on to a little bit. So obviously we had the introduction of three new Mandalorians, um, which is a little off-putting. They're taking off their, their helmets and everything, but um, they've got their own clan that they're in. But um, really like the introduction of them um, with uh, Bo-Katan, and then, which I, I know is in... The Star Wars universe, not in like the main films and everything. And then also uh, Casca Reeves, who is played by Sasha Banks, who apparently is a WWE star. Yeah, I had read this before the season. I'm not familiar with her, but... I know Geiger would be, be probably getting his rocks off right now, but... Right. People were excited that she was cast, so... Yeah. No, I thought, I thought she did good, and um, after piecing it together, she was the woman in the hood... Um, when he first got off, uh, first I wrote some notes down while I was watching. I was like, okay, who is this? I hope they reveal. And then that ended up who, who it was. So I know she was a new addition um, to the Star Wars realm, from what I understand. Um, but really excited to see where they develop. And yeah, I really like their storyline from from why they're on the planet and all that. They're trying to basically take care of like these arms dealers, essentially, if you want to put in like our terms. Um but um, everything else, yeah, was great. I like having Moff Gideon having another appearance because I love Giancarlo Esposito. Esposito? Esposito? Yeah, Esposito. Yeah. Nailed it. Um, and even like his, the, the small role, whoever the like Im- Imperial officer on the, on the ship, I, th- I thought he did a really good job. Um, his, his short time in there kind of 
uh, conveying like the urgency of like getting the ship up and then his kamikaze attempt near the end what was great it's like i can't even kill myself right yeah <laughs> it's like in, in castaway when he's like yeah i built a noose to hang myself off a cliff but knowing me i had to test it yeah <laughs> so the guy who actually plays um imperial captain is his character's title in oh, the show there's an that. actor named titus welliver and he looked really familiar so he's been in a lot of stuff he's in i was just thinking the same thing yeah he was in the town. He was in Argo, and then I never watched the show. But for five years, he was on that show Bosch, and he was Bosch on Amazon Prime. I think I might recognize him from Argo. That might be where it's from. And he was also in uh, Transformers: uh, Age of Extinction, or excuse me, The Last Night, I believe. Age of Extinction, yeah. yeah. So he's been in a ton of stuff. So seeing him in this, it was like kind of like a super cameo. And I think it's just a fun role anytime you tell an actor like. Yeah, you get to play an imperial officer because yeah. they like to ham it up a little bit, and and that that was the cool part. Like getting back, I don't think we'd like seen like any stormtroopers or imperial officers in a while, so it was cool seeing them on like their fleet and everything, and getting back to like the the meat and potatoes of Star Wars. And it's fun too. Anytime we see the Empire, because technically this is after the Empire has fallen. So yeah. all of these outfits, and I guess we'll find out more as the the season goes on about Moff Gideon and how much control he has over them. I was just thinking the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like they really don't answer to anyone at the end of the day, right? Like mm-hmm. their mm-hmm. boss is dead. And yeah. Yeah. I was kind of thinking when Moff Gideon shows up in this, I was kind of in the back of my head thinking, okay, so like he's just like controlling over this like fleet over this troop or like how widespread is his like dominance at this point? Yeah. And like, what is their goal? Because I, whatever the Empire's goal was is probably different than these smaller outfits, like whatever they're trying to do. Yeah, for sure. Um, last thing I'll say about a cast. So Katie Sackoff played Bo-Katan, mm-hmm. and she is kind of like a, a legend in uh, Comic-Con and Nerd Circle. She was on Battlestar Galactica. She's been in the Riddick series. Um, and she actually, looking at IMDb, she voiced Bo-Katan as well in Star Wars The Clone Wars. So to me, that's kind of cool that you take the person who voiced the actor and then also bring them into the live action iteration of the show. Fortunately with her, she looks the part and obviously is a recognizable face. Yeah. Yeah. Even with doing like the voice acting, I'm sure she can pull over some of like the emotions and things she's already like connected with in that in that series. And she knows backstory, which is. Yeah. I will say this, though. I wasn't a big fan of her performance early on, but I did did kind of grow on me towards the end. Like that scene where they were in the diner eating, I was like, dude, this chick is not a good actor. And then yeah. by the end, after the freighter uh, invasion, I was like, okay, you're fine. Yeah, she kind of she kind of reined it back in, and yeah, I think she's doing a good job of playing how I think they want this role to be played because being a little bit deceptive, um, obviously with Mando kind of agreeing and then her adjusting the plan, and there's some other things Megan to um, in theories and some other things. Um, that will play into like how I think she's how they're wanting her to play the role. And I think she's doing a pretty good job of it. Yeah. Last thing I'll say, Mando, I feel bad for him. I think like 90% of the agreements that he makes, the other person ends up changing the terms of the deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Basically. It's like when Chris Paul was almost traded to the Lakers and David Stern nixed it. He's like, okay, bro, like we're 90% of the way there and you keep <laughs> altering the terms at the end. Just give me a little tickle of the balls. <laughs> All right, on to story and plot. So according to the TV Time app, the plot synopsis for episode three of season two says, The Mandalorian braves high seas 
and meets unexpected allies. And I'd really broken this down into kind of two parts. So there is, uh, obviously we get to Trask and he meets the Mandalores and has kind of that deadliest catch encounter. Mm -hmm. And then they sort of inform him on the way that the Mandalorian creed had split, which I thought was really cool backstory. And I'll get into that in theories and questions at the end because I think it could lead to some awesome plot lines down the road. And then, of course, the freighter heist, which is kind of the whole second half of the episode, setting him up to go find Ahsoka Tana on the Force planet. So, Nate, what would you think of the story here? I think we finally got, even if it's incremental steps, I just like when we we kick the can a little bit further down the road and advance the plot. Oh, for sure. There was really great progression on this one. Um, and maybe I'm just saying that, comparing that to last episode where we didn't have anything really at all. Maybe there'll be some stuff down the road that we see. But, uh, yeah, this one was great because now we're actually kind of leading him along to where he needs to go next, um, which we have that now. Um, and we've revisited a few things that we'll touch on. So obviously seeing Moff getting again, pop up, um, and getting him back into the episode because we left season one with on such a high note of him coming out of the, uh, the tie fighter or whatever he was where he right. cut himself out. Um, so that was great seeing that. Um, it's great seeing the, uh, the the plot thread of the dark lights dark saber again because mm-hmm. that's who that's what Bo Katan is looking for. Um, so seeing that that is being like a driving force behind this, so they're really wanting to get to Mafia get in because she's pretty certain he has it from her conversation with the Imperial officer. Um, and then yeah, adding in new characters, obviously with um, the ones that we already know are in the universe, and then some new ones. Um, and then obviously at the end with. Uh, Bo Katan giving Mando the actual info and saying, "Hey, this is where we need to, where you need to go to Corvus, um, and, and this is where you will uh, meet up with um, Ahsoka Tana." Yeah, yeah, Ahsoka Tana. So, and then that was the other big reveal that obviously everyone's excited for, um, and so we can so we can get to that part. Yeah, I was like, as the story was kind of progressing here, I started to think, as I felt like we got the. I guess, quote-unquote, lingering plot fed from episode two tied up. Mm-hmm. I started to think, we really didn't need that second episode. Why couldn't we have extended this episode across episode two and three? Yeah. When, when I first pulled this up in like 35 minutes, I was like, huh. It's like progressively got shorter over the first three episodes. And yeah, we could have added a little bit more to this. And yeah, cut out. There's, like I said, now that we've seen where episode three went, Episode two seems even further off the thread from right. like progressing this at all. I don't see how that fits in. It was kind of a, a blank story. I know they get the frog lady. That's the genesis of getting that. But I don't think we needed to have the the fight with the TIE fighters and going to the ice planet for no reason and seeing these spiders. It feels lost. Yeah, because even if you want his ship to be damaged, we could just have the X-Wings chase him into Trask or something. Yeah, we don't need oh. to take half an episode on a planet that we're probably not going to go back to. Exactly. So I almost wish we would have spent episodes two and three. They could have divided this story up across two, and it would have been awesome. He could have spent more time on the boat. They could have made mm-hmm. the, the freighter scene could have been more like a heist where they could have been like developing plans to get on and find what Mando doesn't know is the Darksaber, but what uh, uh, Bo-Katan is leading him to. So I, I really like this episode. It was probably my favorite of the season, and I really feel like now we, we picked up a lot of momentum, especially with the tease of Ahsoka Tana mm-hmm. coming soon. But again, it did just kind of make me feel like episode two was more of a non sequitur, which isn't a, isn't a detriment, obviously, to this episode, but we were worried about that last week. I was like, the show, like, we get such limited time with these characters, I don't think we need to waste them with episodes like we had last week. 
No, and I, I can't tell if there's going to be more with the frog lady and her husband going forward. And if not, yeah, there's not much development we even need on all those characters at all. I feel like you had some solid predictions last week, like showing the tadpoles hatch and stuff. Maybe there's going to be some payoff to that in the end. I don't know what it will be, mm-hmm. but I'll get, at this point, I will withhold judgment um, on that storyline. But right now, uh, if you asked me to connect the dots all the way through the season, I would say we probably don't even see these characters again or the Ice Planet again, so it's kind of unnecessary. Yeah, Ice Planet, definitely not. I, I could see them tying back into the frog people. Um, at some point, if maybe once these hatchlings do come about, they somehow help in aiding getting Baby Yoda somewhere or something like that. That could that could be really cool. And again, Ice Planet, cool visuals, but oh, like for I sure. said last week, I feel like some dude just drew that ice spider, and he was like, isn't this badass? And they're like, yeah, let's just do <laughs> I want to use this somewhere. Where can I use this? <laughs> well, we've got well, 45 minutes in this episode we need to fill. <laughs> Say no more, fam. <laughs> and we have $18 million we have to spend. Oh, I, yeah, I'll gladly do that. In. All right. Your favorite scene. This was, there really weren't as many scenes in this episode. Again, it was 35 minutes, including the credit mm-hmm. and sort of two action set pieces. But uh, I still feel like it's weird because I feel like we probably got the most plot of any episode this season in this, in episode three. So, oh, what was for the scene sure. that, that stuck with you? Yeah, I mean, there, there's uh, two big ones um, that kind of stick out, and then some other some minor ones that piece it together. But um, all this, most of the scenes were really great in this. Like it, it kept moving. There weren't any like dull moments really. Um, but the biggest one for me w- was the boat scene. There was so much going on with that because you start out with having promise of oh, Mando maybe able to progress a little bit and get with some of his own people, um, which inadvertently he does, but not in the way he thought. Um, and then it, it's revealed that these guys just want his Baskar and want to sell it. So they're trying to um, basically kill him with their little whatever worm thing that they have in there. I think they named it. I didn't. I don't remember what the name was. Yeah, it, it was a female name, if I remember right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was like, but, I've been on worse dates. But yeah, it was really cool the, the way it started. Baby Yoda's egg getting knocked in there, but it closes up. I'm like, oh, he'll be fine. Yeah, that thing, that thing's strong. It's been. I don't worry about that kid. Nah, nah, he's in there. He he's all good. Um, but then yeah, it was pretty badass when the three uh, three other Mandalorians come flying in out of nowhere onto the ship, kick some ass, and then save him at the end of the day. Uh, and then there's a really cool visual at the very end when they blew the ship up, and you just see the three of them shoot off yeah. on their jetpacks. Um, over yeah, overall it was pretty good. Um, it was a really good scene and it gave you a lot. Like I said, you got to see new characters. Um, they were Mandalorian. So it kind of tied that in with, with, uh, Din. And then, um, visually it was really cool too with the, the explosion at the end. Two things I'll say about that scene. Cause I love that one as well. But with the exception of maybe like in rise of Skywalker, where they're like on the boat speeders to get to the fallen Death Star. Mm-hmm. Is this the first time in Star Wars we've ever been on a boat? That's a really good point. I'm trying to think. Um, I think, yeah, in Rise of Skywalker, that might be the only the other close, time. Yeah, the closest thing, right? Um, so, so that other was, than other than Obi Wan and uh, Anakin floating through the lava river, but mm, that's, that's true. It. That's not a boat. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it was a really cool aesthetic. Again, like oh, I wrote sure. it. It reminded me of like the deadliest catch Star Wars edition. <laughs> yeah, they're the crabbers of the universe. <laughs> and just to confirm, 
The uh, Mon Calamari in that restaurant was like part of the setup, right? He was like luring Mando to that guy on the boat. Like obviously they had no idea where any Jedi were. They just wanted to take his armor. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I don't think there was any any doubt about that. Yeah, that, that was a setup from the beginning. Yeah. Do you think they did that because he tipped them poorly when he ordered the chowder? You know, it just it was a little too salty for him. You know, he he does he likes more bland. And he sat there for an hour, and he only ordered a water. They're like, dude, fuck, man. Like, what's going on? <laughs> These seats are valuable. He needed to order some shit. Exactly. My my favorite scene was really just, it's kind of cheating because it's like the last 15 minutes of the episode, but that freighter heist at the end was really, really cool. Like, the aesthetic of them, it, it kind of would give you like an homage to A New Hope where uh, Han and Luke are kind of running through the Death Star. No idea where the fuck they're going. <laughs> They're shooting guys. Doors keep closing behind them. They're like just trying to get out of there somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, it also gave me vibes kind of of that prison break episode last season where it's like close yep. quarters assault. And that guy had that really cool gun that was like mounted on his back in last yeah. season. And the then with the uh, Bill Burr. Yes. Bill yeah. Burr. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I was going to say the same thing. It, it reminded me of that a lot. And that super horny alien chick. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She was super weird. And she wanted it so bad. And another honorable mention that I wrote, which is the very beginning when he gets to Trask and, like, the, the people in the control tower are like, you're coming in too fast. And it's like, yeah, I fucking know. I'm not Yeah, I'm not trying. <laughs> what do you want me You have a better idea? Like, what do you want me to do? I do you want me to stop this thing? Yeah. Um, but, um, but, yeah, with, to add on with, with, your, with your freighter scene, I think it was very similar to the boat scene because – like it had a lot in it, a lot of cool visual effects, um, a lot of action. There were a few funny points in that too. Whenever he's like, "Oh, we locked him in the cargo, cargo, uh, what did he say? Cargo access." And he's like, "Where?" He's like, "Here." And like, and then they realize what the fuck they just yeah, did. Yeah, that's where oh, the shit is to open the door. It was like cargo access or whatever. Be like cargo control. Yeah, like oh fuck. Guys, like we did it, and then all of a sudden they're like <laughs> flying out into space. Also, then, like you, you just lock them where all the weapons are. <laughs> yeah. That's what they want. Yeah. And then on top of that, it did some other things. It added some insight into Moff Gideon, uh, the Darksaber, and all that kind of stuff. So it, it tied visual with action and plot development. So it was really great scene all together because it had a ton of different elements. And I did kind of like the ending with Bo-Katan where um, – and I'll get to this in just a second with a theory. But where she basically tells Mando like – yeah, we weren't totally honest about our intentions here, but um, we're not, like, the enemy to you. Like, we may have different goals, but yeah. we don't want, like, completely different things right now. So help me out. I'll help you. She did give him the information he wanted, and I actually believe what she told him. So I think Mando's like, all right, I guess that's just kind of the world that I play in. Yeah, they'll be meeting back up later, I would imagine. All right, on to theories and questions. I got a couple here. My first thing is a question. So the next episode, we are pretty clearly set up. He is going to meet Ahsoka Tana on, I can't remember the name of the forest planet. Carved uh, or something? No, hold on. Uh, Corvus. Corvus, that's right. Um, meet Ahsoka Tana, who is played by Rosario Dawson, and obviously she is a very, very important uh, Jedi and then really just Force-sensitive person who leaves the Jedi Order um, after her falling out kind of with their ideals and, and Anakin, obviously. So I'm wondering when, what you think will happen when Mando gets to Ahsoka, because as we know from the Clone Wars, which I didn't watch extensively, but I've seen probably about half of it and I read what happens to her character. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So she is again is not uh, an ally to the Jedi. She's not a Sith, but she's just kind of like you guys are really hypocritical. She's Switzerland. Great analogy. Yes, yeah. she is. She is neutral. So if he is asking to bring Baby Yoda to the Jedi, do you think she'll be like, "Well, I fucking hate those guys"? No. Or do you think she will empathize with him or the child and help him? Like, what's her reaction going to be when he shows up? Yeah, I know that's a really great question um, because we're obviously heading straight for this um, interaction. So we, we kind of got to theorize about that and, and think about what the reaction of, of, of hers is going to be. And I think it's going to be a kind of sympathy towards Baby Yoda and not wanting him to maybe fall down the wrong path. So I think it's going to be an accepting meeting um, and it's going to accept Baby Yoda and, and kind of get him into the the role that she's gotten of seeing like there's a there shouldn't be like a light and a dark side of the force. It should be the force and you should use it um, in a in a good overall way instead of taking sides like Jedi and then the Sith have. And she obviously knows Yoda. She you know, was in the Jedi Order when he was <laughs> the head honcho. Yeah. So I'm wondering if she will see Baby Yoda and immediately be like, uh, that looks like you master Yoda. Yeah. Like the Senate of him. I'm sure she'll make the connection. So Oh, for sure. Yeah, because he was the one who assigned her as Anakin's Padawan. So yeah. she'll so, see the connection immediately. Yeah, and she'll be like, this baby is very important. Yeah, we need to save it. Um, I have two more theories, but I'll let you jump in with anything. Uh, yeah, I, I just really have one main one. Um, still a few sitting out there that I think can develop. Um, if those uh, if those unfertilized eggs are still sitting in baby's Yoda's stomach, those could come back later. If he didn't That's really true. digest them, we'll see. Um, so that was still made a point there. to show that they hatch relatively soon. Yeah. So that could be, yeah. If he starts puking up little tadpoles, we'll uh, we'll know what's up. But um, the one theory I do have is that the information that Bo-Katan gave Mando is not entirely true. So I think this may be a test. And doing a little research, there's a few things that kind of support my theory. So from what I could tell, Corvus is not a planet that's ever been mentioned in the Star Wars canon before, which is entirely possible that we're just being introduced to something new. Um, But... I think this may be a test for his loyalty if seeing if he trusts her, which is kind of a weird way to go about it now that I think about it yeah. because she's lying to him. Um, but I think there may be a little a little line in what she's telling him, um, and she may be sending him kind of down a, a rabbit hole uh, that doesn't really lead to um, uh, Ahsoka Tana, which would actually be kind of disappointing at this point. But I, I feel like there's a little deception to her and like i kind of mentioned earlier i feel like that's how her character is being played i don't know if she gave him the full truth to this um which may play out in next episode yeah i maybe she mentioned it in passing too but i am kind of wondering how she uh came to know ahsoka tana i know um i think we said something before that obviously they're in the clone wars and all this all these other series um and rebels um but i know they that they fought together, I think, in, in those two series. I haven't watched them. But, yeah, it would be cool to see what the backstory was. There's probably people out there already who know it, but I'd love to, I'd yeah, who love are to see their explanation there. here. Yeah. yeah I'm, and, again, it, there it has been some time passed, obviously, between this and Clone Wars. But uh, if you're talking about Rebels, it's much closer. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure where their relationship leaves off there, but there could be a few-year gap that we need you know, filled in here. Yeah, exactly. 
two theories that I had. One is that Mando at some point, the, the dark saber is now kind of being established as sort of the MacGuffin, right? The briefcase from Pulp Fiction of the yeah. show where everyone is sort of after it. It's of large importance and it is, uh, as is always the case with the MacGuffin, it's a, it's a great plot device. It pushes the story forward, motivates the characters. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking that at some point this season, possibly towards the end, Mando will end up in possession of the dark saber. And he's going to have a choice to make if he wants to keep it, give it to Bo-Katan, do something else with it. Yeah. Um, and it'll put him in a position that he really hasn't been in so far where he has a lot more leverage. Maybe he could even use it to control some of these Imperial people. I don't know. Huh. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I think it, make, yeah, it makes a lot of sense since now there's kind of leverage going back and forth between Bo-Katan and him. And she obviously wants this. And if he gets in possession of it, he could, yeah, definitely use that for more information, for help. Um, kind of like uh, Timothy Oliphant's character did in the very first one, saying, hey, you can have my armor, but you got to help me kill this fucking crate dragon over here. Plus, it would just be badass to watch him fighting with the Darksaber. That would be unreal. Already, like, one of the top assassins in the world. Now he has a lightsaber. And a jetpack. <laughs> And those it was little, great, like, great to jetpack this this episode too. Uh, not to get off track of theories, but when he just jumps off the 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 starship and just goes and floats down, and jetpack kicks in. That's I pretty badass. Jetpack. I'm glad yeah. he's using it a lot more this season because uh, <clears throat> Boba Fett's always seemed a little bit janky. Like he mm-hmm. got that like played against sports. It was like a used jetpack. And yeah, but I mean Boba Fett's armor compared to Mando's is subpar. Yeah, I can't. We talked. He's like in Little Giants when they have to play with like catcher's <laughs> pads and stuff. Um, my other theory that I have, and this might even be like a season three. We know season three has been greenlit, but I think this would be a really cool plot thread for season three. So Bo-Katan, again, she is sort of the unreliable narrator. Like what she's saying, we don't know if we can believe it or not in the episode. But she describes sort of a rift that developed between the Mandalorians, really just based on ideology. Like they're either different interpretation of how the, I guess, religion, for lack of a better term, Mm -hmm. should be practiced or what actually the creed meant and and the ways to observe it. I think it would be really cool in season three, especially if they want to get kind of away from like the Jedi focus, which, again, we're not that we're like heavily embedded in that, but it is sort of a plot device. If we had like a Mandalorian civil war that kind of got started in season three, Bo-Katan on one side and then the guild that he knows on the other side, and he's kind of this... Heath Ledger character in The Patriot where he's like trying to choose sides and he's sort of like the the guy being tugged back and forth. I don't know. There's just I feel like so much potential for a storyline there. Um, I think it'd be cool to see this something like that. That would be a very cool season three um, thread line if we could get into that. Um, obviously, if like something gets resolved with the whole baby Yoda, baby Yoda line, then that could kind of develop. Um, but yeah, that, that'd be awesome. Like it's their own civil war in between themselves. Another thing that I do kind of want to retract is I was thinking about my theories. So we've talked extensively about how, well, Baby Yoda simply cannot make it through this series alive. Mm-hmm. And I think that I'm really going to back off of that now. I think he could easily make it out of this alive because, especially if he's with Ahsoka, her whole role is kind of isolating herself from the Jedi. And at the point that we even meet like Rey and Luke in the sequel trilogy, the Jedi are for all intents and purposes, non-existent. It's like one yeah. dude on an island hiding from everyone else. Mm-hmm. So even if Baby Yoda existed out there, like maybe Kylo would try to track him down at some point, but Kylo's motivations are so like personal. Yeah. Um, and 
obviously we learned everything with Snoke was driven by someone else, but I think Baby Yoda could easily live through this series, and they could yeah. just say like another corner of the universe where other Force users existed, independent of the First Order. Yeah, I don't think that's too crazy of a theory. Obviously, that's one of the wildly speculated things right now is trying to figure out how this thread gets tied up with Baby Yoda and then him not being mentioned in any of the um, <clears throat> other movies. But uh, especially if we go uh, find Ahsoka Tana, then I think she may feel a need to protect him since she's seen both sides of it and she knows. And so right. she just wants to take him in and kind of shield him from what may happen. And that's kind of, I mean, in, in a way, kind of what happened with Yoda back in the day is he went to exile because he just didn't want to have to be uh, like at the taken advantage of, of yeah. yeah yeah the forefront of this or he he knows what his powers are so he just wants to shield the world from having to get into those situations but I, I think it's entirely possible yeah also the more I think about it there's just no way they would they will kill him off you I mean it it would be you think we have riots in the streets now <laughs> kill off baby Yoda oh my god a pop culture phenomenon yeah yeah not going to do that fucking man all right nate that's all i got anything you had before we leave the people for season two episode three um no that's about it uh just really excited that they kind of got it back on track after last last episode um so super excited to actually hopefully disprove my theory i have so we can get to this this new planet we've never seen this forest planet of corvus um so we can get some more backstory um, because that will be a huge reveal, uh, Baby Yoda meeting uh, Ahsoka Tana. And again, eight episode seasons. So after next week, we'll already be halfway through, which is yeah. kind of crazy how quick this is flying by. The one good thing in 2020. Yes, 100%. <laughs> All right, for the American Hero Nate Thurman, I'm the Mayor Jeff Hornacek, and we are the Bro Force Squad podcast. Thank you guys so much for checking us out. We'll be here to review the rest of season two of The Mandalorian. So please check out all of our other reviews. You can follow us on Twitter at Bro4Squad. We're on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Type in Bro4Squad as three words. Pretty much anywhere else, too, you subscribe to podcasts. And check out everything on our website at Bro4Squad.com. Till next time, Nate and I need to order uh, two of those chowders. Yeah, minus the crazy octopus thing that latches onto your face. And then he, like, stabbed it, right? Yeah, the very last one, yeah, he stabbed it. Baby, I was just slurping it up like Lady in the Tramp style. That uh, that spider at the end that was in his ship. Yeah. Did the dude like purposely plant that there to try and hurt them? It was just a weird way that they had filmed it. Yeah, it. And uh, me and the wife were actually talking about that because 